Alright, welcome to The Last Word with Dan Perosi. It is September 23rd, 2015. Uh, recording this about quarter to seven. Uh, let's just jump right into it. Uh, last week I went eight and eight. Bad week. A uh, lot of upsets last week. I think based on the odds there were seven or eight upsets. A few of them really screwed me over. Got knocked out of a knockout pool, which sucks, in week two. But, uh, you know, I'm 20-12 and 12 on the season, eight games above 500. I know this week was rough for a lot of people. Really, the only upset I got right was uh, the Cleveland Browns beating the Tennessee Titans, which I'll get into my opinion on the Cleveland Browns in just a little bit. But before I uh, get into my picks, I want to take a moment to speak about the passing of Baseball Hall of Famer, all-time great Yankee legend Yogi Berra. I know a lot of people listening to this aren't Yankee fans. They hate everything about the Yankees. But even the the most staunch Yankee hater respects Yogi Berra. What Yogi Berra did in his career, the person he was. Baseball aside, the guy was you know in the U.S. Navy on this when they stormed the beaches of Normandy. He never spoke about it because he's such a humble person. Uh, one of the funniest people. I mean, the Yogiisms you can look up all day. From ninety percent of baseball is half mental. Um, if if there's a fork in the road, take it. You know things like that. My my favorite one is if there's a uh, I don't remember the exact quote, but um, paraphrasing. Don't cut me a pizza into six slices. I can't handle that. Cut it into four. <laughs> it's just the kind of person he was. He was a goof. When he retired, he led all major league catchers all time in home runs, despite being only five foot seven. He was the original Jose Altuve, but with more power. Uh, he, you know, won ten World Series as a player. Another three as a coach. Which, when you think about it, ten World Series. If Yogi Berra was a team, he'd be third all time in World Series victories. It's really incredible. Caught the perfect game from Don Larson, one of the most iconic pictures in baseball history when he jumps into his arms. And just all around a great guy, humanitarian. So uh, not enough good things you could say about him. Um, from a Mets fan standpoint, he was the manager of the team after the untimely death of uh, Gil Hodges. He led the team to the, the you got to believe season. Uh, Tug McGraw said you got to believe. Led them from being nine games under 500 in the division to leading them to the division title and ultimately a World Series where they came up a little short against the Oakland Athletics, lost in seven games. So, you know, Yogi, he, he lived his life 90 years old. Not many people get to live that long and, you know, do the kind of things he did. I mean, he dated models. Models. He was, you know, in, in World War II, he won 10 World Series as a player, managed for a while, had one of the biggest public feuds with George Steinbrenner, Didn't even wasn't even on good terms with the Yankees. He wouldn't even go to Yankee games for about 15 years after Steinbrenner had someone else fire him. Uh, the story I like telling, I posted it on my Facebook today, was uh, in the same week, uh, longtime Yankees, uh, Yankee Stadium announcer Bob Shepard passed away, and then two days later, uh, Yankee owner George Steinbrenner passed away. So me and my friends, we'd go to Hooters Trivia Night every now and then, and we always tried making a team name that insulted uh, the waitress or would offend someone there. Like, we'd get the, the lady that was doing the announcing, and they're like, uh, gang the team name, gang bang at my house later, and then she looks like a huge whore. So we made our team name that week, a passing of Bob Shepard and George Steinbrenner, Yogi Berra's next, because it was actually the day that Steinbrenner died, I believe. 
uh, because there were so, the, the prize, if you won, was actually Yankee tickets. And I knew something like that would piss off Yankee fans, and sure enough, it did. But uh, I did respect and love Yogi Berra. He did a lot with the Mets throughout the years, despite being known as a Yankee. He was there for the last game at Shea Stadium. He was there for the opening of City Field. So I have a tremendous amount of respect for Yogi Berra. Uh, like I said, one of the all-time greats. He's still the all-time RBI leaders among catchers as well. So won't be many like him, if any at all. So now that we got that sad, sappy shit out of the way, um, I'd also like to comment I don't have anyone sitting in with me. My my roommate and slumlord, Taylor and Greg, they're up in New Hampshire. Um, kind of like a broke-back mountain getaway. Spending a lot of time together in the mountains, the hills, camping, um, keeping warm. So hope you guys are having fun. See you guys in a couple days. Now that we're on that, going to get right into my picks for this week. Jump right into the Thursday night game, the Washington Redskins. Uh, at the New York Giants. Giants coming off another devastating loss in the last seconds. Uh, Became the first team in NFL history to lose the first two games of the season after leading by 10 points or more in the fourth quarter. Never happened before. So congratulations, Giants. You have that going for you. And the Redskins pulled off uh, probably the biggest upset of the week. Um, at least when you're looking at compared to week one performances when they beat the, the St. Louis Rams at home. A decent game from Kirk Cousins, a nice run by uh, Jones, Alfred Morris continuing to run well. And they did this without Deshaun Jackson as well. I think what a lot of people are pointing out is that the offensive line coach in Washington is Callahan, who is the one that built up that the Dallas Cowboys offensive line. So maybe people underestimated the front of the Washington Redskins, which goes a long way. So... I don't know about that. The Redskins, particularly Kirk Cousins, have never played well against the New York Giants, especially at MetLife Stadium. If you'll remember last year, his first start of the year after RG3 got benched was on Thursday night against the Washington Redskins, and he threw four interceptions in the first half. So the Giants could just as easily be 2-0, and and really the Redskins could too. Uh, they played a tough game against Miami in the first week. So to me, I have to look towards home field advantage here. Uh, the Giants are four-point favorites right now. I think that's a little dramatic based on how they played. But um, I think that I've seen enough things from Eli and the offense where I think a few you know tune-ups here and there. Uh, he had some big drops, and Eli didn't play well in the stretch last week. But they probably played two better teams. They definitely played two better teams than the Redskins and the Falcons and Cowboys. The Redskins aren't going to be able to have those crucial drives down the stretch, I don't think. For the Redskins, the key for them is to, for Kirk Cousins not to turn the ball over. He, he turns the ball over, the team loses. It does, he's, they don't have the kind of talent on the team where they can get away with mistakes like that. And frankly, the Giants don't either. You've seen that they've had some crucial mistakes, whether it be coaching, coaching execution, or quarterback play in these two games, and that's why they lost. Regardless, I'm going to go with the home team here. I think the Giants get their first win in the season. I think they realize with the Tony Romo injury that they have a very good chance in this division despite being 0-2. And I think they're confident playing against the Redskins as well. It's a team they've played very, very well against these last few seasons. So give me the Giants. I'll I'll take the points because I think that there's a discrepancy in talent on the offensive side of the ball between these two teams, and the Giants will be able to put up points like we expect them to. So I'll take the Giants, and I'll take them to cover the four points. Next game, we have the Pittsburgh Steelers at the St. Louis Rams. As I just previously mentioned, the Redskins, uh, they upset the, the, the Rams were upset by the Redskins in Washington last week, maybe riding a little high and arrogantly after their win over the Seahawks. 
and the Pittsburgh Steelers had a dominating victory over the San Francisco 49ers. One about how I expected it. If you listened last week, I said that Roethlisberger was going to put up points, and I didn't think Kaepernick and the 49ers would be able to keep up. Um, Antonio Brown is still the best wide receiver in the league. It's truly incredible what that guy can do for not being the the physical freak like Odell Beckham Jr. or Calvin Johnson. Uh, He's amazing hands, amazing route runner, so fast in the open field. And, you know, they got – it's amazing. Darius Hayward Bay has been an NFL bust for how many years now, and suddenly he's starting to move the ball and score points with Ben Roethlisberger. And to, to his credit, D'Angelo Williams is playing incredibly well for the Steelers, but he's going to face a tougher matchup this week against the St. Louis Rams front seven. Uh, still an incredibly def- a talented defensive line. Aaron Donald, what he's doing right now is rivaling what J.J. Watt's done these last few years. If you watch him, the disruption he's creating in the middle of the, of the offensive line. But in this game, it, it comes down to quarterback play. When you know, you're talking a dominating defense, can their quarterback move the ball to keep up with an offense like the Steelers. As I said last week, and I'll keep saying, I said it in week one, the Steelers are going to put up points no matter what you do. This team is probably going to be the highest scoring in the league when all said and done this year. They're going to average 26, 27, 28 points a game or so. Can the Rams do that? Can Nick Foles do that? I don't think so. If this is the, the debut of Todd Gurley, does that give him a better chance? Yeah, if Todd Gurley is what a lot of people think he is. But Nick Foles isn't, you know, Ben Roethlisberger. He isn't Tom Brady. Hell, he's not even Colin Kaepernick. And Colin Kaepernick couldn't move the ball last week. So, in this game, Steelers are one-point favorites on the road, a road favorite. I'm going to take them to win this game outright. I'm going to take them to cover the spread. I think they're going to win by at least 12, 13 points. And that a lot of people are going to be questioning if Nick Foles should still be the quarterback of this team. Because when Nick Foles has to start moving the ball and run a more proficient offense... Not like what he ran with Philadelphia in Philadelphia with Chip Kelly. I think he's going to struggle dramatically, and the team's offense is going to struggle dramatically. Now, the one thing the Rams have going for them is that defensive line, obviously, and that the Steelers' offensive line is not the best. But when you have the kind of weapons and the kind of arm that Ben Roethlisberger does, it doesn't really make a difference. They're going to hit short slants and take out for yards after the catch, and that's going to eventually open up the deep game when the Rams start playing a little bit closer. And there may not be a better deep ball thrower as far as hitting his runners in stride than Ben Roethlisberger in this league. So I'm going to take the Steelers, and I'm going to take them to cover the one point, obviously. I think they're going to win by a wide margin on the road. Next game, the San Diego Chargers at the Minnesota Vikings. San Diego coming off a loss to Cincinnati in Cincinnati. Uh, It was a pretty tight game, probably one of the better games of the week from a competitive standpoint. Some uh, crucial misfires by the Chargers in the game down the stretch. Uh, Bengals took advantage as they are a pretty complete team on both sides of the ball, uh, despite a terrible game from Jeremy Hill, which I'll get to later. And the Vikings came off... uh, a pretty impressive victory over the Lions. Uh, they frustrated Matt, Matthew Stafford. They really did a nice job against the running game and uh, that three-headed monster of uh, Joyke Bell, um, Amir Abdullah, and um, Theo Riddick. But the Lions' play calling wasn't particularly good. The Vikings took advantage. A nice game from Teddy Bridgewater. Uh, very good play calling, I thought, by the Vikings. They definitely need to get their wide receivers involved more. You haven't seen much from Mike Wallace or uh, Robinson in uh, over there. But... In this game, I really think that the Chargers are the better team. The one concern that I do have here is that they are most likely to be without their tight end, Green, who has been filling in very well for Antonio Gates during his suspension. Uh, Phillip Rivers, obviously, is a very, very good quarterback. He's very efficient and very careful with the ball. 
Uh, it didn't help him last week that Keenan Allen had a god-awful game throughout. So you hope that Keenan Allen can go back more towards what his week one performance was when he had 15 receptions for like 170 yards. Uh, it, what's his name? Melvin Gordon is starting to run the ball pretty well for San Diego. You can see what he can do with the ball in his hands. And I think that what you've seen from the Vikings that they're struggling with the seam-type passes in the middle of the field. Their linebackers have not been covering particularly well. So San Diego is a two and a half point underdog on the road, which is probably fair. Both teams are one and one. Um, you know, San Diego played much tighter in their one loss than Minnesota did, but you saw what a lot of people expected Minnesota to be this year. You had Teddy playing very efficient football, mistake-free football. Regardless, I don't think they are what even people like myself thought Minnesota was. I, I thought they'd be like a nine and seven team, but they look more so far to me like I know it's only one game, but eight and eight, seven and nine. Not as good as I thought. Adrian Peterson still looks like he needs to get going. Uh, he had a few fumbles and a few ones that were almost fumbles as well, which has always been his issue. So he's got to knock that rust off still. So I'll take San Diego for the upset on the road. Uh, two and a half points, I think they'll cover. It's going to be a three, four-point victory. I think Phil Rivers is going to have a very nice game. Uh, high completion percentage. Probably going to hit Keenan Allen for at least one touchdown as well. i start both of them in fantasy if you had those guys as well. Next game, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers against the at the Houston Texans. Tampa Bay coming off their first victory of the year, the first victory of Jameis Winston's young career. And it was in no, no easy conditions. He did it well. He won at the Superdome against my good friend Jeffrey's beloved New Orleans Saints, who are a train wreck, which we'll get to. But Jameis Winston showed what a lot of people expected from him. Um, well, as good as Mar- Marcus Mariota's week one was and as bad as Jameis Winston's week one was, if you're talking NFL throws, those big throws, those non-gadgety college-type plays where you're hiding their deficiencies, Jameis Winston had an incredible week two in that regard. He made big throws, um, fearless throws, which is... Well, you kind of have to give and take with him. He makes those fearless throws, which will lead to turnovers at times. But he played a very smart game. The running game was looking all right. And their defense played well against New Orleans, but they were aided by the poor play calling of Sean Payton. A lot of people questioning Sean Payton, you know, is he running out his welcome? But as I said, we'll get to that. Uh, As far as Houston goes, coming off a loss to Carolina, the first start of the season for Ryan Mallett, uh, just offensively they can't do anything. Their running game cannot get going. They sorely miss Arian Foster. Uh, It it looks like they might miss uh, Andre Johnson a little bit, too. Um, DeAndre Hopkins is obviously incredibly talented and a very good wide receiver, but Andre Johnson was the the steady presence. He was the bigger body. He was a much better blocker than DeAndre Hopkins, and if you're trying to do outside runs, it makes all the difference. Now, my biggest issue with Houston is Bill O'Brien. It's uh, people every time there's a season of hard. This is my biggest issue with hard knocks. You always get these these jabronis that watch hard knocks and they suddenly have a hard on for this team. They're like, dude, they're going to be good. I saw it on hard knocks. I like that coach on hard knocks. So you watched hard knocks, okay? You like what what he did? He named Brian Hoyer the starter. So he waited all training camp. So both these guys said Brian Hoyer's better, which is horseshit. And then decides after three quarters of the first game of the season that, you know what, I screwed up. I'm going to make Ryan Mallett the starter. So you just completely contradicted everything that you watched over the first three, four games of the preseason. This is the problem with all these Bill Belichick disciples. They, 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 get, they think they're Belichick and can do these radical things like 
benching guys that are really good players and throwing them in there and then having someone you don't expect play really well. And it doesn't work. You're not Bill Belichick. It didn't work for Eric Mangini. It didn't work for Romeo Cornell. It didn't work for Charlie Weiss. And it's not going to work for Bill O'Brien either. You you need to make the one decision and ride it out. If Brian Hoyer after five, six, even four games, four games, ride him out to the bye week. Write him out and see what he does unless he's just throwing interception after interception and he's playing like Matt Schaub. But you can't just, after three quarters, tell your coaching staff and your players that you don't, you're not sure about your decisions. That that does this team doesn't look confident at all. Besides JJ Watt and Jadavion Clowney, who's starting to play pretty well. Defensively, they're playing all right. Their corners aren't particularly great, but there's there's something missing here. And part of it is probably Arian Foster, who you know is the bell cow. He's probably the emotional leader on that offense now that Andre Johnson is gone. But they came close last week against a poor offense. And they're going to be playing Tampa Bay, who defensively is not Carolina. Defensively, they're not the Kansas City Chiefs. Offensively, this game could be a shootout. Uh, If Jamin Winston can cut down on the mistakes and move the ball, he is going to be without one of his favorite targets and tight end, Austin Safarian Jenkins, who has, I believe, a sprained shoulder or dislocated shoulder. He's out four to six weeks. So they, they, they will have some trouble moving the ball. You hope that he gets something out of Mike Evans. I mean, he moved the ball last week with nothing from Mike Evans. So you hope that if he's a little healthier or a little more healthy, he'll be able to move the ball a little bit better. But at home, their home debut, you hope Ryan Mallett comes out better. You hope they can run the ball a little bit better. I think J.J. Watt and the Houston Texans defense are going to be incredibly fired up, and they're going to force Jameis Winston into some of those rookie mistakes, and they're going to come away with the victory here. I don't like the six and a half points. I think that's Houston's favor by six and a half. I don't like that, so I'll take Houston to win, but I think Tampa covers the six and a half points. Next game, the Philadelphia Eagles at the New York Jets. Jets two and a half point favorites. Uh, the Eagles coming off that god awful game and that god awful loss to the Dallas Cowboys, where everything looks like it's blowing up in Chip Kelly's face. Sam Bradford looks terrible. DeMarco Murray looks terrible. Your offensive line looks terrible. So let's look at this here. You got rid of Nick Foles and you brought in Sam Bradford. You signed him to an extension. You get rid of LaShawn McCoy. You bring in DeMarco Murray and Ryan Matthews. And neither of them are running pretty well. LaShawn's running pretty well up in Buffalo. And then you get rid of Evan Mathis. Let him go to Denver. And not that he's playing well there, but he fit your system much better than he does in Denver. It, it seems at least. So all these things are blowing up in your face. Uh, part of the LaShawn McCoy trade was getting Kiko Alonso. He has a partially torn ACL. He's probably not playing again this year. So you're, you're teetering the line here, Chip. you got to get a win. The Eagles have to get a win. On the other side of the ball, the Jets, 2-0. Much to my disdain, but they're 2-0. They played two very, very good games, uh, defensively especially. Offensively, a little bit to be, to be desired, but defensively played very well. Um, they frustrated Andrew Luck. They exposed that weak offensive line. Uh, frankly, they probably should have won by 25, 30 points, but a win's a win. doesn't matter if you win by 2 or 20. It shows up as a win in the, in the win. It shows up as a W in the win column. So this game, to me, despite the Jets being favored, is kind of a coin flip because no one expected the Colts to play or the Jets to play this poor. Excuse me, no one expected the Eagles to play this poorly early in the season. No one expected the Jets to play this well early in the season. No, I mean the, the Jabronis on ESPN were picking the, the the Jets to win, but what do they know? And don't say more than me because they won. The reason the Colts were the favorite is because they probably are ultimately going to be the better team in the long run. 
But the Jets should win this game. When you look at what you see from the Eagles, they're they're not moving the ball on offense. They're they're no chemistry it seems, and defensively they're not playing great either. They signed Byron Maxwell from uh, Seattle to this huge money contract, and right now he is, I believe, the second or third lowest graded cornerback in the league out of like 88 cornerbacks. So. That once again proves um, Byron Maxwell was the product of the Seattle system. I mean, it's only two games in, but you could see what most people thought. Not that fluid, not great hips, not great on the ball. Doesn't move well. So can the Jets, Brandon Marshall, Eric Decker, if he's healthy, take advantage of that? On the Eagles side of things, no one thinks that this Eagles offense is going to continue to struggle this poorly. You would think that they they need to change their system a little bit and let DeMarco Murray run the ball a little more. Chip, I understand that's your system, that you want to run you know crazy fast, but you need to get a rhythm power back like DeMarco Murray into that rhythm. He he could have you know eight carries for 15, 17, 9 yards, or 19 yards, but he's eventually going to break out that one for 25, 30 yards. You saw it in Dallas last year. So if they can commit to that a little bit more, getting the ball into the hands of DeMarco Murray and even Ryan Matthews a little bit more, they have a much better chance of scoring points. The Jets, they I think they need to commit a little bit more to Chris Ivory. Their run blocking hasn't been particularly great these two games in. Uh, I think they need to commit to that a bit more because he's another one. He's a bell cow back. Defensively, the Jets have been incredible. Ten turnovers their first two games. They've scored, I think, uh, 20 points off those turnovers already. Uh, they only had 13 turnovers all last year, which is incredible when you think about it. But usually, you know, when you start at a pace like that, five turnovers a game, you're going to come back down to earth. Five of those were from Browns players, which everyone gets a turnover against the Browns. Um, but you did get those against Andrew Luck as well. And we know Andrew Luck is prone to turnovers. He leads the league in turnovers since he came into the league. So is Sam Bradford going to be able to avoid those mistakes? Probably not. I think it's going to be an ugly game. I think uh, it's going to be low scoring. I think that uh, th- this is, if you're looking for an, an upset this week where it is more than one point, this might be it because the Jets are riding high. You hope Todd Bowles can keep them in check if you're a Jets fan. A Rex Ryan team would come out and lay a clunker. I respect Todd Bowles a little bit more in that regard. So I will take the Jets in this game and I'll take him to cover the two. I think it's going to come down to a Nick Folk field goal. But this is a prime upset game. This is what you call a trap game for the Jets. 2-0 against 0-2. Eagles look like a train wreck. Jets look like a great team. Where are they really going? Um, But I will take the Jets to win, and I'm probably going to end up regretting it. Because every time I think that shit-ass franchise gets going, they screw me over again. Next game, the New Orleans Saints at the Carolina Panthers. Panthers 7.5-point favorites. Uh, New Orleans coming off that ugly, ugly loss to Jameis Winston and Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Um, And now we don't know about the health of Drew Brees. I know he's practiced a little bit this week, but you don't know about how much practicing he's really doing, if he can make those throws. One of the things that puts fear into other teams about Drew Brees is that he is not afraid to throw the ball down the field. The one interception he had on on the game on Sunday, he threw a deep pass to Brandon Cooks that right out of his hand, you saw nothing on it. And I know they're saying it's a rotator cuff bruise. I hope it's just that. I hope it's not a tear because at his age, a sh- another shoulder injury is going to be a major problem. Defensively, the, the Saints don't really have anything. They have zero pass rush. Like it, it's it's scary how bad their pass. They're not even getting to the quarterback at all. I mean, you don't have to get sacks to look like you're getting pass rush. They're getting zero pass rush. Um, I, I it's it's insane really what they're doing. Um, but. And then offensively as well, besides Breeze, the running game hasn't... I know uh, Mark Ingram's got some fantasy points, but they haven't been able to get a running game going at all. Um, I, Max Unger has been a real disappointment since coming down. I, I think both Seattle 
and New Orleans are really regretting that trade right now. But it's still early in the season, still a lot of time to go. And Carolina's side of things, coming off another win, uh, very good defense from them despite not having Luke Keekley. Um, it's Cam Newton is doing great things with the football, not turning it over, getting in the red zone, doing Cam Newton things, diving in, uh, doing his stupid Superman pose, uh, despite not having a dominant back behind him, despite not having wide receivers. He's making it work. He made Teddy Ginn look like a good wide receiver, which is not humanly possible. So Cam is the, the Cam's playing at a very high level um, from a winning standpoint and from a fantasy football standpoint. You just hope with how much he's running around that his body can hold up. Uh, if Drew Brees plays this game, I think it could be close because they're – the Saints will be better at moving the ball offensively than the Panthers because of the weapons they have and obviously Drew Brees. But defensively, I don't even think that the the Saints have it to stop the the few offensive weapons that the Panthers have. We haven't seen a big game from Greg Olson yet. He's due. And I don't think Drew Brees is going to play. And if he does, I don't know how effective he'll be. I I hope he is because I like Drew a lot. I I have a lot of respect for him. Um, I wanted him to be a Dolphin back when they decided to go with Dante Culpepper, which uh, I made this joke to my fr- a couple of my friends, specifically Steve and Jeff, uh, that you know Nick Saban was finally right, that Dante, that, um, that Drew Brees' shoulder was going to be a problem. I mean, yeah, he's like you know almost 11 years late, but regardless, um, the, the biggest question for the Saints besides the health of Drew Brees is what's going on with Sean Payton's play calling, because these last couple years it hasn't been great. Ever, ever, uh, Jeffrey pointed this out to me, um, that the, since the the bounty gate suspensions, that Sean Payton hasn't been the same. You know, when Sean Payton went before that suspension, he was one of the most aggressive, daring coaches you'd see. I mean, uh, going for it on fourth down. I mean, this is the guy that opened up the Super Bowl ha- half, second half of the Super Bowl with a goddamn onside kick. Where is that Sean Payton? Does Sean Payton want out? I, I don't think so, but you can gu- guarantee it if he was a free agent, if they released him or uh, fired him or traded him, every team's going to be begging for him that doesn't have Bill Belichick on their side. Or um, So uh, going on to the game, I, I think it's going to be tight. I think Carolina's going to win, but they're not going to cover the 7.5 points. I think New Orleans is going to come out trying to prove something. They're going to play, put up a valiant effort, um, better than they did in the first two weeks. But um, Carolina is just frankly the better team at this point. And they might be the best team in the NFC South again. feel pretty dumb since I picked the Saints to win the division. Fuck you, Jeffrey. Next game, we have the Jacksonville Jaguars at the New England Patriots. Both teams coming off wins. Uh, Jacksonville coming off a victory over some team, uh, the Dolphins or something, um, where Blake Bortles played the best game, best half of his NFL career. Um, He was incredible in the first half, and a lot of that had to do with the fact that Miami couldn't sack him. First time in Blake Bortles' career where he was not sacked once in a game, despite having eight straight games where he was sacked four times or more. Um, They kept him clean in the first half. They couldn't even get in his face, and he made him pay for it. Uh, He he got away with a couple mistakes. There was uh, at least two interceptions, one that would have been a pick six at the end of the first half but um aside from that they they scaled Gus Bradley scaled it back uh they're still having some issues with the running game uh you find Allen Robinson had a much better week too on the defensive side for Jacksonville their defensive line's playing very well Jared Ottrick is playing extremely well right now uh defensive backs iffy uh they're, they're playing a lot of soft zone coverage that will not work against the New England Patriots and as far as the New England Patriots go, uh, they're coming off the win over Buffalo, where it wasn't even as close as that final score indicates. There was a late Buffalo rally. 
Uh, only reason it happened is because Belichick did Belichick things and ran up the score in Buffalo, kept passing, which didn't drain down the clock. He wanted to stick it to Rex Ryan, almost bit him in the ass. Um, but you, clearly you saw that Tom Brady's operating at his highest level since 2007. You'd expect them to come back down a little bit more. Uh, they haven't played, you know, the Bills' defense is extremely overrated, in my opinion, at least in the secondary. Uh, they don't have great corners. They don't have great linebackers. The, obviously, they have a great defensive line. But in this game, I think that uh, it's going to be a little – I don't think the Patriots are going to put up the same amount of points as they did last time. Um, like I said, both Gronk and Brady are off to incredible starts. Gronk's on pace for like 32 touchdowns right now. Um, the thing that the Patriots is doing doing is very interesting is in the red zone. They're, they're going to a three tight end set, an unbalanced line, and that just creates havoc for an opposing defense. Uh, they need to get their running game going a little bit more, commit to Deion Lewis because um, he can do big things with the ball in his hands. Uh, so in this game, you know, despite Jacksonville getting its first win, I think that they're going to be able to frustrate Blake Bortles due to Belichick's more exotic schemes, um, coming at the quarterback a little bit more with different ways, more pressure up the middle from linebackers like Rob Ninkovich, uh, and um, probably send a few corner or safety blitzes. So I would exp- the Patriots are here by 13.5 points at home. That's probably fair because they dominated at home, and Jacksonville, being a young team, was not expected to perform as well on the road. So I'll take New England. I don't think they're going to cover the 13.5 because it's too dramatic of a spread to take. So I'll take Jacksonville to cover the 13.5 despite a Patriots win. Next game, the Cincinnati Bengals at the Baltimore Ravens. The Ravens coming off a brutal loss to the Oakland Raiders where Derek Carr just lit them up, um, and the Ravens still don't have that deep threat on offense that Joe Flacco needs. Um, On the other side of thing, the Bengals coming off that impressive victory over the Chargers, an amazing first-half touchdown catch from A.J. Green. Uh, Tyler Eifert's playing out of his mind as well, living up to what a lot of people thought of him at a college. Um, if this is, you know, a divisional game. This probably should be like one of the night games or the Monday night game. But right now, two AFC North teams that are trying to pull in different directions. The Ravens are not used to getting smacked around on both offense and defense. And that's what both the Raiders and the Broncos did to them. They got out-muscled. And that's probably due to the loss of Haloti Nada and Terrell Suggs. They don't have that presence in the middle of their defense. And the fact that they're not able to run the ball very well right now isn't helping them because that's their style of football. And it's putting more pressure on Joe Flacco. On the Bengals side of things... They're doing everything right despite that terror. I think the maybe rookie year, week one, went to Jeremy Hill's head a little bit because he got benched for Gio Bernard, who's a very effective back himself. But I think Jeremy Hill's going to have a big bounce back game here. I think that you're going to see Marvin Lewis come up with a game plan to attack the middle of the field with his running backs and with Tyler Eifert and expose the linebacking core of the Baltimore Ravens. Despite them being on the road and being underdogs, I like the Bengals to win this game based on what I've seen from both teams. I think it's going to be uh, a kind of one of those typical AFC North games ugly. I think towards the end, it's going to end up being high scoring as teams make their adjustments. It's going to come down to who has more playmakers, and the Bengals have more playmakers. Big game from Jeremy Hill, big game from A.J. Green and Tyler Eifert, and a big game from Andy Dalton. Joe Flacco will have a big game himself, and so will Steve Smith Sr. He'll try to be the emotional leader of this team, but it's not going to work this time. Bengals win this one going away. Next game, the Oakland Raiders at the Cleveland Browns. The uh, the Browns are three and a half point favorites. I'm really looking forward to this uh, this this game. Actually, um, I I want to see this blow up in Mike Pettin's face. Johnny Manziel comes in last week and he plays his ass off. I mean, he's got more. 50-yard touchdowns in any quarterback in the league right now. And he clearly has a, a chemistry with Travis Benjamin. And what does he do? 
after you know he leads his team to its first victory of the year, where it was an upset at home. Um, he he benches your young, the quarterback that you chose in the first round, might I add, Mister Patton. Benches him for Josh McCown, who, like a jackass, got himself concussed in week one with a stupid play, thinking he's John Elway. And you bench your young quarterback who whose confidence was in the shitter in the offseason, remodeled himself, played a hell of a week two, and you bench him for a journeyman quarterback who, if you look him up despite one fluke year under Mark Trestman, throwing Alshon Jeffrey and Brandon Marshall is nothing more than a backup journeyman quarterback. Don't tell me he gives you the best chance to win. Go look at what he did for Tampa last year with Vincent Jackson and Mike Evans and, and better offensive weapons than you have in Cleveland. And you're benching him for the kid that you chose in the first round. When no one else would draft him, you drafted him. It's horseshit. No one wants to see Josh McCowan in. You're upsetting your fan base. You're upsetting your locker room. I know None of them are going to come out and say it, but yeah, you are. You, you He worked so hard in this offseason to improve himself as an individual and as a leader. And you, you bench him after he has the best game of his career. Way to play on your young quarterback's confidence. You had a great defensive game plan against Marcus Mariota. Made him look like a rookie. And you come out and you do this. Mike Patton is just another Rex Ryan at this point. Doesn't know how to run his offense. On the other side of things, um, the Raiders, they got their first win. Like I said, Derek Carr played his ass off. Running game looked nice. Huge game from Amari Cooper. Um, Unfortunately, the Browns are favored by three and a half. Uh, I don't know why. Uh, Probably just because they're at home. The Raiders, I think, are more like the team we saw last week than we saw in week one. Not that they're as good as they played last week, but they're not awful, as awful as they looked in week one either. So in this game, I think the Raiders are going to come out and pounce on the Cleveland Browns. I think they're going to frustrate Josh McCowan, frustrate the fans who are probably going to boom off the field. And you'll probably see Johnny Manziel in the third or fourth quarter once Mike Patton realizes, I really don't know how to run my offense. So I'll take the Raiders here in the upset going away, or, uh, and obviously they're going to cover. Next game we have is the Indianapolis Colts at the Tennessee Titans. Colts coming off that loss where they just looked awful all around to the New York Jets. Uh, Couldn't protect Andrew Luck. Vontae Davis went out with a concussion. And then um, Frank Gore had that awful fumble in the red zone where if he gets that touchdown, he he had a touchdown and he just dropped it in the end zone. Um, I, I don't really know what's, what's going on with them. There's a, pow- there's a power struggle, an internal power struggle between Chuck Pagano and uh, GM Ryan Grigson. Uh, I just don't know what's going on with them. Uh, Andrew Luck is having the worst start of his uh, to his career in the first two games, which kind of tells me that he's going to head back on the right path. Uh, not seeing great things from Andre Johnson, but T.Y. Hilton looks like he's getting healthy. Um, the Frank Gore had a couple good runs before that fumble help pulled back by penalties, which I didn't understand either. And, but now they're going to be facing the Titans, coming off um, that loss to Cleveland I mentioned, where Mariota played like a lot of us thought he would. He didn't look good. I know he put up nice fantasy numbers, but that's the problem with fantasy football. It makes everyone think that the quarterback played well. Mariota was the reason that the Brown, uh, that the Titans lost last week. Um, and it's going to happen. You're going to have growing pains. And I don't expect them to play that bad all season, but they also can't design plays like they did for him in week one every week because the better teams in this league will catch up to that. And in this game, they're facing one of the better teams and one of the better defensive minds in Chuck Pagano, who specifically will play well against rookie quarterbacks. So I think that you're going to see a big bounce back game from Andrew Luck for fantasy owners, for fans of the Colts. I think they're going to have a huge game from Frank Gore. And I think I would start the Colts defense in in most fantasy leagues as well, because I think you're going to see another rough game for Marcus Mariota. So I'll take the Colts here and I'll take him to cover the three and a half points. 
Next game we have is the Atlanta Falcons at the Dallas Cowboys. Atlanta, one-and-a-half-point favorites. 2-0 and o teams facing off. Someone's O has to go. Uh, streak has to end for someone, I guess. Uh, Falcons coming off that win over the Giants on the road where they had a big come-from-behind victory. Julio Jones was on fire again. And the Falcons' defense is playing like you saw from the, the Seahawks' defense the first year up in Seattle with uh, – uh, Richard Sherman's rookie or Russell Wilson's rookie year. You're starting to see that come together, that same kind of attitude and that fight to the ball, how fast they are to the ball. That's all Dan Quinn's coaching. Um, but obviously on offense, it's all about Julio Jones, who might be the second best wide receiver in the league. I mean, top three's got to be Brown, Julio, Odell Beckham. And uh, they, the giant, the Falcons defense did get beat up by Odell Beckham, but they let him eat and they stopped the other players from doing damage. And that's what it comes down to. For Dallas, obviously, they're they're in a bit of disarray here. Uh, Tony Romo broke his left clavicle. He's going to be out at least eight weeks. He's on the injured reserve designated to return list. Um, so that means you're turning to Brandon Whedon, which uh, we all know what Brandon Whedon is. And uh, Jerry Jones comes out yesterday and says, you might not see a more gifted passer in the league than Brandon Whedon. And the next day he goes and trades for Matt Castle from the Buffalo Bills. Doesn't show a very good vote of confidence. However... I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to take Dallas in the upset here. I think at home against the Falcons, who have played better than a lot of people expected early on, um, while Dallas has won two games they probably shouldn't have won, um, I think that's going to continue. I think that it's going to be close throughout. I think that they're going to let Julio eat like the Falcons let Odell Beckham eat last week, and they're going to stop him in other ways. They're going to stop the run. Uh, Sean Lee is playing out of his mind right now, and that's going to make a difference. Stop the run. Stop the passes in the middle of the field. And let Julio do his thing. He, Julio's not going to beat you single-handedly. That doesn't happen anymore. So let let Julio get his and just be careful with the ball. Tell Whedon no big mistakes. And if Whedon starts making mistakes early, you bench his ass. Run the ball. Run the ball, Dallas. Force Matt Ryan into a couple turnovers on defense. Get one. I think Sean Lee's going to have a really nice game here. I think the fact that everyone's doubting them and making them underdogs at home is going to fire up that Dallas defense. And I think Dallas is going to come away with the victory here. I think that uh, they, they realize that the teams in their division are ready to pounce, seeing that Tony Romo is going to be out and that Dez is out. And I think that they're going to come out with a point to prove, and I think they're going to do it. So I will take Dallas here in the upset. Obviously, that means they'll cover the one and a half points. Um, they'll go to three and zero, jump atop the division even more. And I will take. I'm sorry. And obviously, that means the Falcons will fall to two and one, while the Panthers will improve to three and zero. Next game we have is the San Francisco 49ers at the Arizona Cardinals. Cardinals, six-and-a-half-point favorites in a divisional game. Uh, despite their big Week 1 performance against the Vikings, saw the 49ers come back down to earth a little bit more, look more like the team we expected. Um, early injury to Carlos Hyde did not help, but he still played pretty well. So Carlos Hyde obviously is one of the top backs in the league right now. He needs to play well in this game for them to have a chance. Um, defensively, I don't think much of the 49ers, and I think that's going to show even more in this game. It, it's amazing when you look up Carson Palmer's statistics. His last 16, his last 16 games, you know, removing injuries and everything. Carson Palmer's 14 and two as a starter. He has something like 28 touchdowns, did like nine interceptions, and in those two losses, the Cardinals had. It was by um, three points in each game. It's it's crazy, really. Um, and Larry Fitzgerald, in his last 16 games with Carson Palmer, has over 1,100 yards. So the demise of Larry Fitzgerald may have been severely overstated as well. Um, 
the Cardinals are coming off that win over the Chicago Bears where they won on offense, defense, and special teams. They opened up the game with a 108-yard kickoff return. They had a pick six, they had a fumble recovery, uh, and Carson Palmer had another, I think, two or three touchdowns. This game I don't need to spend a lot of time on because one team looks like the best team in the NFC, and the other team I think is going to be one of the worst teams in the NFC. So I'll take the Cardinals here. At home, I'll take them to cover the six and a half points to improve to three and zero and continue toward back towards the NFC champion to go towards an NFC championship game as long as Carson Palmer stays healthy. Next game, the Chicago Bears at the Seattle Seahawks. This is the biggest spread of the week. Seahawks are fourteen and a half point favorites. I got to be fired up after going down to zero and two, lost to the Green Bay Packers, which. Um, Seahawks fans were confident they were going to win that game. I said there was no shot they were going to win that game. They were on the wrong end of a questionable fumble call. Regardless, um, they're not using Jimmy Graham correctly, and the reports are Jimmy Graham is extremely unhappy with how he's being used. I take reports about players' unhappiness with a grain of salt, um, but you could see that he's he's not being used like you should use Jimmy Graham. And it doesn't help that Marshawn's not running great and that defensively they haven't been doing anything really well. But what do you know? Cam Chancellor's coming back this week. I think he finally realized... Oh, sorry. Mets just hit a home run. Uh, Daniel Murphy, so they're up one nothing. But uh, Cam Chancellor's coming back this week. Held out for more money. Ended up losing about 2 to $3 million by holding out. Um, I appreciate the fact that he realizes his teammates are struggling without him. Um, he will definitely improve that defense. They're going to come out angry, fired up. And they get the benefit of playing Jimmy Clausen and the Chicago Bears. Jay Cutler out a couple weeks with a hamstring strain. Um, really, only thing the Bears have right now is Matt Forte. Defensively, they don't have much going for them. This game, honestly, at 14.5 points, I would never tell you to take that. This might be the time because they might pitch a shutout against the Chicago Bears. So I'll take the Seahawks. Big game for Marshawn Lynch. Please, for the love of God, get Jimmy Graham involved. Get some confidence. Don't let anything ruin your locker room chemistry that you've done so well to build up, Pete Carroll. Do something with Jimmy Graham. Get creative. Seahawks win. Seahawks cover. Next game, another divisional game, the Buffalo Bills at the Miami Dolphins. Dolphins three-point favorites at home. Bills coming off that loss to the Patriots where, for the first time as a head coach, a Rex Ryan defense gave up 500 yards of offense. They're getting absolutely gashed in the passing game. As I said, I do believe it is an overrated defense besides the front seven and the pass rush. Um, Offensively, Thad Lewis, he had a nice fantasy game, but he had three interceptions as well. Uh, Will not play well from behind in games. So the key here for the Miami Dolphins coming off their loss to Jacksonville is do something they have not done yet this year, and they have not done well in recent years. Get out to a fast start. If you win the coin toss, I'm tired of this defer every time shit that Joe Philbin does. I appreciate it sometimes, but this dumb asshole, this dead son having asshole, is every time he defers. And then your defense gets out to a slow start, you're playing from behind early. You get the ball, receive it, and shove the ball down the fucking Bills' throat. You've been Your team's been coming out slow. I don't know what's up with the penalties, why you're playing sloppily, but come out, get that ball. If you get a good kickoff return, you need to commit to the running game, even if it's not working. You need to score early and put the pressure on Thad Lewis, put the pressure on Rex Ryan and, the, and Buffalo Bills' offense. Because... Playing from behind all the time is not going to work. Ryan Tannehill is playing some of the best football in his career, the first Dolphins quarterback to throw three touchdowns and no interceptions in the first two games of the season ever. So he's playing as well as he could despite no running game and average pass protection. On defense, Dolphins defense, I'm not too concerned about. The 
Second half, they're playing great. Struggling in the first half. They need to get that pass rush going a little bit more. Does not help that Cam Wake is not 100%, but I'm confident that will sort itself out. Uh, the thing that scares me in this game for the Dolphins is the LaShawn McCoy and Sammy Watkins uh, on offense. Obviously, Sammy Watkins is a physical presence. He's a freak. Um, he, I think you have to expect him to get his, but stop Robert Wood, stop Percy Harvin, um, and don't let them do anything in the red zone. They've done a good job in the red zone of not letting, touch, uh, letting red zone drives turn into touchdowns, holding them to field goals. I believe they're fourth best in the league at that right now. Commit to that. Um, I think that you need to get a little more creative defensively. You kind of scaled it back. The reports that Ndamukong Sue was freelancing this past week, but I don't believe that to be true. Um, people I trust that have studied it, that know more than I do even, said it doesn't look that way. Sue had a great second half, finished with a positive um, grade overall. Um, so I, despite bias aside... These games, every time the Dolphins and Bills play each other, it's tight, especially in Miami, um, where Tannehill in these last few years has lit the Bills up at home. Uh, I think his last three games against the Bills at home, seven touchdowns, two interceptions. I think he's starting to find a groove. I think playing in front of the home crowd with the new seating and dimensions is going to get them fired up. And I think that Rex Ryan teams are historically bad coming off big games, whether win or loss. And you know he got his team emotionally prepared for Belichick and the Patriots. So I'm going to take the Dolphins here. Um, I think they're probably going to win by three, like a field goal. It's going to be one of those big victories where they have to play well late. And generally, Joe Philbin teams do well after disappointing performances, and I think that'll continue here. Uh, big game from Tannehill. I think you're going to see uh, Devontae Parker get his first NFL touchdown, and if Jordan Cameron plays healthy, he'll have his first touchdown in the season as well. So Dolphins win. They're going to cover the three. Actually, it's going to be a push. They're going to win by three. Next game, uh, Sunday night game, uh, the Denver Broncos at the Detroit Lions. Denver favored by three. Uh, Detroit looks all, all out of whack, really. Um, Matthew Stafford hasn't been playing very good. Uh, his, his stats show in there. Don't know how healthy he is. He um, limited in practice with a rib and shoulder injury, or chest and shoulder injury. Um, what's up with the wide receivers out there? I know Calvin Johnson had an amazing toe-tapping touchdown, but... You can see that they're not the same kind of separation you expect from Calvin Johnson. And Golden Tate's not playing particularly well either. I mean, the most consistent receiver so far has been Eric Ebron, your second-year tight end, which is great that you're seeing the development from him, but you're paying all this money to Calvin Johnson, you're paying all this money to Stafford, and you gave money to Golden Tate, who played great last year. But a lot of Golden Tate's production came last year when Calvin Johnson was out with injury. Is that the case here? Is is Golden Tate only going to shine when he's the true number one? You hope not. Well, you know, you got to hope you can use them the same way or use them in different ways. I, you got a little more creative on offense. Defensively, you clearly missed Ndamukong Sue and C.J. Mosley and Nick Fairley. Your defense hasn't been playing very well. Um, they, you were number two defense in the league last year, and you couldn't expect to do that again losing those guys, but I, I'd expect you to play better as well. They look undisciplined and uh, just sloppy and... Now they're going to be going against what it may be the most complete secondary in the league. When you have Aqib Tlaib and you have Chris Harris and you have TJ Ward, um, the, the Broncos' defense looks absolutely filthy. And they haven't been able to protect Stafford very well in Detroit either. And you got Von Miller and um, Demarcus Ware coming in. They've been getting to the quarterback a lot, and they've been forcing turnovers. And when you're a, a turnover-prone team right now and a turnover-prone quarterback – 
that doesn't bode well for your offense. Um, I, I expect Detroit to come out and play, you know, more aggressive, play better, their first home game. Um, they got to get to Peyton Manning and for, try and force him to do some of those deep throws and try to try to get him out of his rhythm early as he's trying to still figure out this Kubiak offense. We only really saw Peyton turn it on last week against the Chiefs when he was allowed to go no huddle, when he when Kubiak just said, forget my system, do what you got to do. And bam, 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 moves the ball down the field. Amazing perseverance from Peyton. Um, and unfortunately for, for the Lions fans and for my, my good friend Steve, uh, you're going to fall to 0-3 here. Uh, the Broncos are, frankly, just a better team with the better quarterback. Uh, they have more talent on offense and defense right now. I'm not saying that their players are necessarily better than you, but right now, Demarius Thomas and Emmanuel Sanders are playing better than Calvin Johnson and Golden Tate. I do expect those guys to play better. Um, what you need from the, the Lions here is you need to commit to Amir Abdullah right now because he is going to be your game-breaking player out of the backfield. Uh, it, it, that's exactly what you have to do. You have to give him the ball in creative ways. You have three good running backs. Go to a two-back set. One's your, one's your grinder. One's your, going to be your, your guy cat, catching the ball in the backfield. But it still won't be enough here. Uh, the, the Broncos defense is playing at too high of a level right now, creating turnovers, and that's going to continue. Uh, Broncos win and Broncos cover the three points. Next game we have is the Kansas City Chiefs at the Green Bay Packers. Packers, six-and-a-half-point favorites. Chiefs coming off the loss to Denver, as we mentioned, on Thursday Night Football last week. And the Packers coming off the big victory over the Seattle Seahawks at home. Uh, Aaron Rodgers, there's not much you can really say about him. He is the best quarterback in the league. He is probably the most talented quarterback of all time. He may not finish with as many rings as Joe Montana or John Elway or Tom Brady, but as far as you stack them up to each other, who is the most physically gifted, impressive, talented quarterback ever? It's Aaron Rodgers. No one can make the throws he does. No one can move like he does while making throw he throws he does. And no one can make these players that no one wanted look good. Specifically, James Jones, who was cut by the Giants because he didn't look good in camp, comes back to Green Bay, and he's a touchdown machine again. Uh, with Green Bay, you do worry about the health of Eddie Lacy a little bit. Um, he had, a, I think it was an ankle sprain in the game last week. But you do have a good a complimentary back in James Starks. Um, obviously, you have Eric Ebron, you have James um, James Jones, and you're still expecting Devontae Adams to finally have a big game. But when you have Aaron Rodgers and you have that underrated Packers defense play, playing much better than people expected um, at home in Green Bay, it's going to make all the difference in the world. Um, Kansas City, they had they had that game in hand last week, but between the fumbles, the questionable Andy Reid coaching in the red zone and deciding to run the ball with 20 seconds left on an outside run, um, it, it shows that the Chiefs are going to be bad in those kind of tight games against good teams, and that's what this is going to be. You're facing a good team. So in this game, I think it's going to end up being the Aaron Rodgers show again. As long as they can keep him healthy, they're going to get right tackle Brian Beloga back, I believe. Um, as long as they can stop that pass rush, they're going to be fine. Uh, Packers should win this one, and I'll take them to cover. They're going to win by at least a touchdown at home. Um, fantasy owners who have Aaron Rodgers are going to be happy, and if Eddie Lacy's healthy, this game might be even more than seven-point victory. So those are my picks for the week. Um, we'll get right into a couple questions here. Uh, first question is, will the Broncos' offense find consistent rhythm um, that's tough. I, as I just mentioned in the, the pick for the Sunday night game, the Kubiak system does not suit what Peyton Manning is good at right now. Peyton Manning in his career has never been a great just three-step drop quarterback. He liked running the gun a lot often. 
So you move the Kubiak system, which is a zone blocking scheme, which relies on you dropping back and moving into the pocket. It's a little difficult. Peyton's never been fleet of foot in the first place. So it's going to be predicated on if that if C.J. Anderson and the Broncos running game can finally get going. If you get those going, that's going to completely open up your offense to try a little little bit different things. Let Peyton feel more comfortable back there because Peyton knows that offense is predicated on the running game. And if he can't run it, he's not going to be comfortable, and teams can see that. You can see he doesn't look comfortable in the three-step drop. So get that running game going, get that offense going, Peyton will be fine. Next question is, uh, well, what's your take on Cleveland uh, naming McCown the starter already? I went over that. Um, like I said, Mike Patton is an idiot. I, I was a big fan of his. I like the hire for Cleveland. And, you know, it could just as easily be that they're having issues with the head coach in front office, as a lot of people know. But he made that decision ultimately, and he looks like an amateur. I hope it blows up in the face. I hope the Browns lose every game this year. And I generally root for the Browns because of my friend Jarvis, and the Browns fan is extremely loyal despite never being good in you know last 15, 20 years. So uh, I hope it blows up in their face, and I hope the Browns you know don't win another game or win maybe one more game, and maybe they'll finally get their quarterback next year with a new coaching staff, obviously. Um, will this be Tom Coughlin's last year if the Giants don't make the playoffs? And who are the possible replacements? If the Giants don't make the playoffs this year, it will be Tom Coughlin's last year. And honestly, I, I have a ton of respect for Tom Coughlin, but it should have been his last year last year. Um, you know, you missed the play. I know you won a Super Bowl in, the la- in 2011, but you missed the playoffs for the last five years. Your record in that time, you're like six games under 500. Uh, you haven't improved. Your draft picks besides Odell Beckham haven't really lived up to what you expected. Prince of Mukamara had one good year. It's kind of been a bust since then. Uh, free agent misses. And this goes for the, the GM as well, who I know they won't replace, um, Jerry Reese. But, yeah, it's Tom Coughlin's last year. Um, it's, it's unfortunate that it can come down to him getting run out by a team considering he won them two of the most improbable Super Bowl victories ever. Um, but it's time. I think that uh, he he's done, I don't think he's comfortable with the offense and he's an offensive-minded coach because he didn't want to hire uh, Ben McAdoo as the offensive coordinator. That goes against every offensive philosophy he's ever had. So it is going to be his last year because the Giants are not going to make the playoffs. They just don't have the talent. They're just not a good team. And um, Tom Coughlin will get his place in the NFL Hall of Fame at some point. Uh, great coach. I have a lot of respect for him. And he's going to have his guys guys play hard down the stretch. You're not going to see incredibly sloppy Tom Coughlin teams usually. As far as possible replacements, uh, the most obvious choice that a lot of people connect them to is if the Saints do let go of Sean Payton in the offseason, which I guess – is a possibility. Sean Payton does have deep ties to the New York Giants and Bill Parcells, so that would be a possibility. But the Giants have never been known to go after the big-name coach, and Sean Payton would be the biggest-name coach to hit the open market in a long time. Um, so I think they'd probably hire in-house. I wouldn't be surprised if they promoted offensive coordinator Ben McAdoo to head coach. And I don't want to hear the Giants fans, oh, Bill Cowher, Bill Cowher. Bill Cowher is never coaching in the NFL again. Get over that one. Not happening. And you're not getting Jay Gruden or John Gruden either. You're going to get someone that you didn't want, and Giants fans are going to cry, just like they did when Tom Coughlin got hired because they wanted someone else. And then that coach will end up being good, and the spoiled brat that the general Giants fan is won't, will act like they always love the coach when he finally does well. So it's going to be someone you don't expect. I'll say that much. Uh, should Chip Kelly worry about being fired at the end of the year? Yeah, I mean, if you know, you got to think about it. The overhaul that he did on offense and defense as well, running 
very good players out of town, uh, yeah, he should be worried. Um, the the Philadelphia fan is not forgiving uh, to anyone. They, they booed Santa Claus and threw snowballs at Santa Claus. Um, so what are they going to do about their, their beloved Eagles? Their beloved Eagles that have never given them anything but shit. Yeah, they'll run Ship Kelly out of town. He is, refuses to budge. He doesn't uh, evolve with the times. And it's possible that... Uh, sorry, the Mets just went up again, two nothing. Um, you know, you you change this team completely, and you won't adjust your scheme to your players like Demarco Murray or Ryan Matthews. Yeah, you're gonna get fired. Um, so yeah, he should worry if they had a like a abysmal season where they go four and twelve, five and eleven, you know, six and ten even. He's gonna get fired, guarantee you. And the last question, uh, how many games, quarters, series, or plays does it take for the Cowboys to switch over to Matt Castle once Brandon Whedon shits the bed? I love how we're talking about Brandon Whedon shitting the bed like it's inevitable. Um, you know, I was actually a fan of Brandon Whedon out of college. Uh, obviously, he didn't work out, as it seems with most quarterbacks that get drafted by Cleveland. But uh, he didn't play well last year in Tony Romo's stead um, for the Cowboys. So I think it's going to be a short leash, especially if this game is close. Like, if it gets out of hand early, like, say the Falcons are jump all over them, they'll let Whedon work it out and get more comfortable. If it's close and the only reason the Cowboys are losing or winning barely is because of Brandon Whedon, they'll bench him pretty quickly, and they should. Um, you, you traded for Matt Castle, who has won in this league way more than Brandon Whedon. Not that I think much of Matt Castle, but Matt Castle has shown if you put an effective team around him, he can be a very solid game manager. He's probably a step below an Alex Smith at his best, but that should be good enough on this Cowboys team in this NFC East where you can have the division at 8-8 eight and eight or 9-7 and seven potentially. So that's it for this week. Uh, short show. Kept it under an hour. Um, as, I, as always, if you have any questions, comments, criticisms I don't want to hear, send them my way on Facebook or at Dan Perosi on Twitter. Um, we'll be doing a show next week, hopefully with a guest. Continuing on, see how my picks go this week. Remember, you listen to me, you go to the top. You don't listen to me, you're never heard from again. <laughs>